0: I don't know about you, um, I love to travel. Anybody else love to travel? <laughs> Traveling is awesome. And uh, when there's a place that I would love to go, you know, I can you gotta obviously get on the internet and get everything I want. I can get books. I can watch videos and all that kind of stuff, which, which, is, which is really great. But when somebody has actually been there, okay, so anybody want to go to New Zealand, that's my place. I would love to go see New Zealand. My brother actually has been there. And when you find somebody who's been there, you sit them down and you go, tell me what it was like, because they've actually experienced it. Well, what if you knew that you were gonna go someplace? Right after the service today, our team that's going to Swaziland is gonna meet, okay? We know we're going to Swaziland. And at almost every meeting, we have somebody who's already been there Come and share with us. Because this team, we're trying to prepare this team for what they're going to experience because they know they're going to go there. So it's great to have someone on the ground and they can, who's already tasted it and seen it and experienced it. Well, here's one thing we know. Eventually, we're all going to punch our ticket out of here. We know that. And so everyone, I think at some point or another, you've had to. And if you haven't, you should <laughs> think about what's going to happen. <laughs> what's going to happen when my days here are on, this, uh, on this earth are over? Because it is going to happen. And everybody's been to a funeral, right? I, I heard a joke about three guys they were playing poker and uh, started talking about their, their funeral. And they said, man, what do, what do you hope will be said at your funeral? And so one guy said, man, he goes, I hope that my study of medicine will have actually helped people experience a fuller life while they were here. I'd love for people to say that about me. Another guy says, I, I'm hoping that everybody would say that I was a great husband and an awesome dad. And the third guy said, he goes, I hope at my funeral, the people go, look, he's moving. <laughs> and I, I remember, I think I probably say this now at almost every funeral I do, because it hit me so profoundly years ago. Because God actually could have done anything he wanted to do. He could have he made our experience of death in, in, in any way. And how cool would it be that after you died, if at your funeral, you got to show up for five minutes? A few days have gone by and God gives you five minutes to tell everybody what it's like. Well, we're all gonna go someday, I don't know about you, I'd love to find somebody who's been there who could tell me what it's gonna be like. So to find an answer about the afterlife, we go to religious books, right? And so for us who are Christian, we go to the Bible. And that's where we are looking to see what are you telling us, God, about the scripture? And that's what we're gonna do for the next six weeks. But I also know this about our culture today. For many people, there is absolutely no trust in the Bible actually there's actually a higher percentage of people who believe there's a god more than they believe that they can trust what the bible says and so if that's the case as we go through these six weeks and maybe i'm hoping that some of you are are here today and that would make total sense to me again if you were thinking about the afterlife but you don't think the scriptures are trustworthy then you would have to go well how can i find out what is really true in the afterlife so here's what's interesting advances in medical medicine today are providing people, increasingly number of people are being pulled back from death experiences and they're actually beginning to share what's happened to them. In fact, researchers right now, Gallup polls and other research research that has been done in our nation are saying that one out of 25 people actually have this type of experience. That was way higher than I was expecting, okay? And if that's true in this room, then some of you maybe have. Where they have had a near-death experience, where they had no heartbeat, no brain activity, they were dead, and yet modern medicine brought them back. Now here's an interesting... I have a friend, and I've known him for years. His name's John Burke. I I really trust him. He's been a mentor to me. He's a guy who theologically for me has always been right on core with, with God. But about 35 years ago... His dad was dying of cancer. At this time, John was an engineer. He didn't believe in God at all. He had no faith whatsoever. But somebody gave them a book about near-death experiences. It was called uh, Life After Death. In fact, it is the book that coined the phrase. And what happened was, after he read that book, he became really intrigued. And he started to think, if any of this is actually even possibly true, if there actually could be a God and something after this life, then this is the most important thing that I must consider. So over the years, John has actually read now over a thousand near death experiences. And what he finds is that people are saying what they experienced after death is often right in line with what the Bible has been saying for 2000 years and more. Those people are getting a taste of the afterlife, and listening to them can help us possibly imagine what heaven is gonna be like. That's why he wrote this book, and we, we did provide it, but this first service like swallowed it up, okay? So I think there's maybe half a, a, a box left of, of the books. It's called Imagine Heaven, and um, we will order more and have some more after uh, next week when you get here for a while actually the book was number one in during the month of October. And so I just wanna say, if any of you in here are skeptical about the afterlife, maybe this also might help you find that there's some pretty convincing evidence that heaven is real. Now I wanna say this, John is very clear that he is skeptical of any one person's story about a near-death experience. There are some people who say some pretty bizarre things and it may be that those people are making stuff up or sometimes it may be that they just can't figure out how to to share it because it was so extravagant. But he would say that it's dangerous to take a few stories and I I just want to say this is very true for me too. I am not developing my theology and I know that's a fancy word. Theology is just what means what you believe about God. I am not developing my theology on heaven based on what some people have experienced. Okay, and I was, but as I've read his book, it is fascinating that people are actually having experiences that match what the scripture says. Now, if it matches what the Bible says, then I'm very interested in that. So John looks at the common elements across thousands of stories, he includes about 120 of them in the book, and he shows how they line up with what the Bible has been saying. Now, part of the reason actually I think it's compelling is because of the credibility of many of the people out of all these stories, John is choosing Harvard neurosurgeons, bank presidents, psychiatrists, professors, university presidents, okay? These are people that when they came out with the stories, it was not going to help their career, right? This was not something like, and so it, it adds to the credibility for them. But here's something else that's really interesting, and you'll read this if you, re, if you read in this book. More and more doctors i have come to believe that the reports of those people with near-death experiences are true. Skeptical cardiologists, oncologists, and other doctors who revive people, pull them out of death, are becoming convinced that what these people are saying are true. Why? Because one thing that the near-death experience people say is that when they die, they actually leave their body and they watch and they can see things that there's no way that they could know. So here's one doctor his name is Michael Sabum and he said before talking with Pete and scores like him i did not believe that there was such a thing as near death experience Pete told me that he had left his body during his first cardiac arrest and had watched the resuscitation when i asked him to tell me what exactly he saw he described the resuscitation with such de- this is amazing listen is- with such detail and accuracy that i could have later used the tape to teach physicians Sabim says these people like Pete saw details of the resuscitation that they could not otherwise have seen. One patient noticed the physician who failed to wear scuffs over his white patent leather shoes during open-heart surgery. In many cases I was able to confirm the patient's testimony with medical records and with the hospital staff. Dr. Sabim says he studied near death experiences to refute them. He wanted to show that they weren't true but then he says I wanted to see if it would pass scientific muster. And it did. After five years of research, I published my findings in the book, Recollection of Death. So he's also published his findings in the Journal of American Medical Association, very very prominent journal. And other doctors now have read that and are coming along as well. And out of critical, skeptical minds, studying these things and finding that there's some reality to them. So more and more people are becoming convinced. And I'll just be honest with you, I don't know if I am, but it's really, really intriguing. Now, if you do believe what the millions of American people are saying all around the world, um, here's what you'll say. Here's what you'll find out. They're saying this life does not end. They're saying that this life is just the beginning of our real story and the real life, and that the life after this life, this was what's so fascinating to me, is more exhilarating than anything that we ever could imagine. And it's worth being hungry to figure out. Now, for me, um, obviously, believing in Jesus Christ, here's the other cool thing, very intelligent people, very skeptical people have dove in to try to refute the existence of Christ, to try to prove that his resurrection, his death and resurrection never happened, and there is so much evidence for that. And so for me, whether any near-death experience is true or not, I can still bank on Jesus Christ. And that's where we're gonna go. So let's look at his personal testimony, because again, I wanna know if there is a heaven, then somebody who's been there, tell me about it, okay? So let's look at the personal testimony of heaven through Jesus. In Luke chapter 24, which is perfect, right after Jesus died and rose again, it actually says that he appeared to thousands of people he showed himself alive to many people. And then it says, When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken in to heaven. In John chapter 18, when he was standing in, at his trial in front of Pilate, and Pilate was drilling him with questions, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. Well, you're a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth they see this? Jesus said, I am from another place. I came into this world to reveal to you what is true. And then he says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Back in John chapter 3, so we're at the very beginning of his ministry, he was talking with a guy named Nicodemus who was a religious leader, a teacher. He was supposed to understand things about spiritual realities. And this is when Jesus was talking about being born again. And Nicodemus was like, what do you mean being born again? How do you do Am I supposed to hop back in my mother's womb? He, he, he could not understand what Jesus was talking about. And here's what Jesus says. Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. So again, my brother can tell me about New Zealand because he's seen it, he knows it. Jesus says, but still, you people do not accept our testimony, I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe, how then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? See, Jesus was going, oh man, I'm trying my best. I'm using terminology and experience that you can understand and you, and you still won't buy it. If I even began to tell you point blank what heaven was like, there's no way you could understand. And then he says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of man. I have come from there. And then one of my favorite passages, John chapter 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. To be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Jesus is the one who's been there and he can reveal it to us. Paul, who wrote almost all the the rest of the New Testament letters in our scriptures, he was a Jewish Pharisee, right? He was killing Christians. And in the middle of his killing spree, he's walking down the path, and he encounters what he said, a man of blinding light. And it's so interesting, as you see this, this whole metaphor, it's not even a metaphor, this reality, I'm sorry, of light Constantly in the scriptures, I've, never, I've, I've read it, I don't understand it, these people who come back, they say, it is all about light. Right here, Paul says, I met a man of blinding light and he revealed himself as Jesus. And then Paul says later that he tells of being taken to heaven. Now if you read John's Burke, John Burke's book, one of the things he says is there is a place where they stone Paul and they leave him for dead. Now we don't know if he was dead, did he have a near-death experience, we don't know, but what we do know is that Paul testifies, and here's what he says, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know, only God knows. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and I heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. And then later on he tries, okay? So here we go. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 15, 19, he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul knew there was something beyond this. You cannot have only hope for this life. And then these beautiful words, look at these with me. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. He's talking about us. The body that is sown is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. In 2 Corinthians, he puts it this way. For we know that when this earthly tent that we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself, not by human hands. We grow weary, anybody grow weary? (laughs) We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. He goes on, for while we are in this tent, we groan and we're burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And you guys, that's the other thing that's so fascinating to me as I read this book and hear these accounts, is that people will say, man, when I left my body and I got to go into paradise, into heaven, they say, I felt more alive than I ever have been. Somehow, even what we're experiencing as life gets swallowed up, and then we get into life. And then he says, now the one who fashioned us for this very purpose is God, God. Don't miss that. What that's saying is, God has actually created us for heaven. He made you and I for something else. This is not our home. And he has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Do you guys see that guarantee? Do you know that? I just want to say, by the way, do you feel the guarantee in your spirit that you know that you're good to go and that it's going to come? Man, this is awesome stuff. So there's some testimony right there for for some eyewitnesses. So then the question is, what is heaven? What is it? And you know what's so cool? You can boil it all down to a verse that we all know really well. In fact, let's put it up here. I'd love, would we all, let's just read this together because we've all, most of us have said this together. Here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So go ahead and put the first part off of that verse. What is heaven? You guys, heaven is where God is. Over and over and over. It was, it was amazing to me this week looking at countless times that Jesus always calls his father in heaven. That's where God's dwelling place is. But also, go to the next part of the phrase. He says that we're supposed to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's, heaven is not only where God dwells, heaven is where God reigns. It's where God actually says stuff and people do it. (laughs) That's what the kingdom of God means. It's where people joyfully and freely follow God. And because that's what heaven is, it's beautiful, it's right, it's loving, it's good. There's no selfishness in heaven. There's no conflict in heaven. There's no tears. There's no pain. It's unbelievable. Why? Because finally, it's a place where everybody follows him. It's where God reigns. And that's why Jesus told us, because this is so cool. When Jesus came, he actually ushered in this kingdom. That's why he says when he says, when you have the spirit inside of you, it guarantees what is to come. Because God's spirit in here is what allows me, and we say this all the time, I couldn't follow God until I got his spirit inside of me. And now I can, and so guess what? I get to taste heaven on earth. And that's what the church is supposed to be, a place, a a community of people who actually follow him. So what is heaven? It's where God dwells and it's where he reigns. But thirdly, it is eternal life. Heaven is, for us, it is life eternal. John chapter 11, which we just talked about, right, in our, going through our Lazarus story. Jesus said to her, she said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? (laughs) See, do you believe this? Because this, Jesus again came to testify to the truth. Life goes on. Now in chapter 17 of John, Jesus said this is eternal life that you may know the one true God and Jesus whom he sent. So eternal life, what brings your soul life is when you finally get to know God. And that's why he said if you believe in in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but inherit, but would receive eternal life. Why? Because as soon as you put your faith in Christ, like I just said, his spirit comes inside you and I know God now. I get reconciled back to God. Jesus takes away all my sin so that I can actually get reconciled back to God and I can now follow him, I can know him. And that's heaven on earth. But look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 13. It says, for now, We see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. See, the best I'm ever gonna get down here, in my eternal, I get a taste of heaven. I get a taste of knowing God, and it's the best thing I can imagine. But when we go be with him, it won't be, in fact, it won't be fuzzy anymore. I was coming in this morning. Oh my gosh, did you see how beautiful it was this one, It's clear. Do you guys remember, remember the inversion? <laughs> I came off 80 and came on 15. I'm like, I can clearly see the point of the mountain. It was awesome. That's what heaven's gonna be like. I'm not gonna have a fuzzy view anymore of God. I'm gonna know him face to face. And when that happens, what I was made for is gonna fill my soul. So that's what heaven is, it's God's presence. What's the hope of heaven? And this is important, why do we need to talk about this? I heard a story, and I think it's true, but there's a Christian lady who was diagnosed with terminal disease and she was given three months to live, so she met with her pastor to discuss her funeral and she had one request at her funeral and it kind of surprised (laughs) him. She said, I wanna be buried with a fork in my right hand. And the pastor was like, okay and the woman explained because at the church potluck dinners that we have she was when people clear the dishes from the main course someone always comes up and says hey keep your fork what that meant is that the meal wasn't over something was still coming and it was gonna be better she said I love to hear that because it meant there'd be chocolate cake and maybe deep dish apple pie <laughs> and when people see me at my funeral and wonder why is she holding a fork You tell them that I wanted my final message to be, keep your fork, the best is yet to come. What, how can heaven give us hope? Let me give you two quick things. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, that God has made everything beautiful in its time, but he has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to end. And so all of us are going, there's so much I don't get. There's so much I don't understand. But I do know this. There's something inside of me that never seems to be deeply satisfied. Now, we taste it on earth and it's good. But you guys know this, man. If you had this much money and it was like, man, that's great. A year later, I need more money. Money does that. Possessions do that. People do that. Sex does that. Everything that we find to be pleasurable in our life, once we get it, it's never enough. We always want more. Why? Because what earth is, is actually just a seed to something so much more beautiful. Earth is a shadow actually of the ultimate reality. God put eternity in your heart so you and I will have a constant longing So when we taste beautiful things like love and beauty and adventure, all of those are like heaven is going to be like that. And I just want to be honest with you, man. I had no, I grew up in church my whole life and I had no idea really what heaven was like. How many of you can, can you be honest? How many of you have no idea really what heaven is going to be like? And and here's, okay. See now here's what's interesting. If that's true, right? And then most of our ideas are like, it just doesn't even sound that great right? What are we going to do, like sing worship songs all day, right? And then we're going to play our harps and float around. I mean, we just have this horrible, so heaven is so unmotivating because we're like, this is probably better. (laughs) And I want to tell you, man, the Bible is saying that's not true. 2 Corinthians 4, this was the verse that helped me when my mom got cancer and when she died. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now I want to tell you, man, there's not a soul in this room that on this planet, you're going to struggle to lose heart. This is a burden, it's hard, and it's str- and what is he saying? The way you don't lose heart is you don't fix your eyes on this world. You actually fix your eyes on what is unseen. Now think about that. How in the world do you fix your eyes on something that is unseen? I think the only way you can do that it's through a gift that God gave us called our imagination. God gave us this ability to imagine something we've never actually seen. But my wife, when we were talking through this, Susie said, You know what's true? Imagination can only go so far. In other words, if you really are only a seed, and if that's all you've experienced, I didn't read the scripture, we'll get into it in a couple of weeks. Paul says, when, if you try to understand what your experience is going to be like in heaven, it's like your body is like a seed, and in heaven, it's like an oak tree. And you go, well, if all you've ever known is a seed, it's probably pretty hard to imagine that there's an oak tree in there. Wouldn't that be hard? And I see, I think for us, we're down here going, well, there can't be, this is all I can see. This is my experience down here. It's this seed And what you need is somebody who's actually seen the oak tree who can come back to you and help you realize, no, there's so much more. And then when that happens, you may not comprehend it, but at least you can get a glimpse that there's more than what things are now. So, hey, as we think about what Jesus tells us, what Paul tells us, what the Bible tells us, what about this idea that maybe God is giving us another gift, another grace, and allowing people a taste. And they actually get to come back and tell us about it. I just want to say, if you're not a Christian here today, and you you can't buy into the validity of the Bible, and you don't really believe that Jesus is, you can't trust him, maybe another testimony might help you. And if you're a Christian today, and you already believe this, what I have found in these last months reading this stuff and thinking about it that it, I think it's increasing my ability to imagine. See, I do know that God is love, but when I hear these people talk about the love that they experience, I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> I do believe heaven's gonna be better than earth, but when they describe some of it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. See, what it's doing as a Christian is it's taking what I believe from Scripture. BUT IT'S MAYBE ENHANCING MY ABILITY TO IMAGINE AND IF I CAN IMAGINE MORE CLEARLY, I CAN FIX MY EYES ON IT AND IT CAN CHANGE HOW I LIVE NOW. SO HERE'S WHAT WE'RE GOING TO DO. WE'RE GOING TO GO AHEAD AND TAKE A LOOK AT ONE STORY NOW. HER NAME IS DR. MARY NEAL. SHE'S AN ORTHOPEDIC SPINE SURGEON. SHE WAS KAYAKING WITH A FRIEND, WITH HER HUSBAND AND WITH A GROUP OF FRIENDS, DOES THIS ALL THE TIME, WENT OVER A WATERFALL AND HER KAYAK WENT STRAIGHT DOWN AND LODGED RIGHT BETWEEN TWO boulders. So we, she was stuck under this torment of water, underneath the water, for at least 10 minutes. And it was interesting, she said, as an orthopedic surgeon, when my, the bones in my knees snapped, she was like, what just happened, right? <laughs> Medically, she was trying to figure that out. She spent 10 minutes under the water, and 15 more, not alive.
1: And this is her story, let's watch. So help me welcome Dr. Mary Neal.
0: Good
2: morning.
1: <laughs> So, you, you said you were dead probably 25 minutes, something I like that, and um, I, I, I know you said it was more real than anything you experienced, but you also had some questions when you came back and searched what are other explanations, what, why'd you do that?
2: I am a spine surgeon and I am a cynic, and when I came back I had the normal questions someone would have in terms of what in the world happened to me but in addition to that i had great motivation to be able to discount my experience and chalk it up to being a dream or hallucination or the result of a dying brain because if i were to accept that my experience was real and true i also had to accept everything that had been told to me not just the good things, but things such as the, the coming death of my oldest son. I had to accept this mandate that I had been given to share my experiences with other people. And I had absolutely no interest in any of it being true.
1: And so as you walk through the different possible explanations?
2: Well, first of all, of course, I thought perhaps it was a dream, but I realized I'm I'm not creative enough to to come up with something like this on my own, (laughs) unfortunately. Uh, But in addition to that, dreams are oftentimes very chaotic. They're very poorly remembered. Dreams oftentimes, if they involve other people, it's always people who are still alive Mm -hmm. or known to be alive. Whereas near-death experiences have a very different quality. They're very logical, very sequential, other than the fact that they're really supernatural. The memory is very, very different. It's as though we're remembering the experience real time in the present instead of recalling a memory. And they always involve dead people. (laughs) (laughs) They always involve the people who are encountered are always people who are dead, even if the person having the experience didn't actually know the person was dead yet. Yeah. Uh, and then, I, of course, I examined all the other explanations, including the, dar- the current darling of, of deniers, which is that of a release of neurotransmitters causing a, a great hallucination. Right. But the interesting thing in a nutshell is that when those neurotransmitters are released, they're released in very toxic levels. And the cells that are most sensitive to death from that toxicity are those very cells that create new memories. Hmm. And so, as I went through all of the data and all of the science, and I tried to corroborate all of the details of my experience as best as possible, and in the end, I realized that my experience was outside the bounds of medicine, outside the bounds of science, and it was... not uncommon. Yeah, unbelievably common. In this room, A great number of people here have had these experiences. They've
1: been coming up to me and sharing many for the first time. Absolutely. Okay, Okay, so take us back. I'm just
2: going to tell you really quickly, though, it's sort of like, you know, saying that Joe's Diner has the best Mexican food on the planet. One person tells you that and you think, well, maybe. A hundred people tell you that and you think, okay, I'm going to go have some food there. A million people tell you that same thing. You never have to go there. Uh-huh. You accept it as absolute truth. Yeah.
1: So take us back to that day. You're pinned under a waterfall. You know you're dying. Was it terrifying? I mean, what was that like?
2: Remarkably, I had no fear, no sense of air hunger, no panic. I absolutely believe that when each one of our time comes, God plucks our spirit out before we suffer, regardless of what it looks like to other people around And the very moment that I truly and sincerely surrendered my soul, my spirit, trying to control the outcome of this event, the very moment I surrendered that to God's will and not my own, I was immediately overcome with a very physical sensation of being held and comforted by Christ and reassured that everything would be fine, regardless of the outcome. And that was one of many profound aspects because not only was I there being held and reassured, but I knew that that experience without any doubt was available to any person who asked, all the billions of us, any person. And it was remarkable. It was, we all talk about love, but it's it's a love like we don't really understand. We talk about love, but we almost always experience a conditional love. Mm. But the closest thing that I can explain is as though you have that long-awaited-for newborn baby and you're just pouring everything you have into that baby, all of your hopes, your dreams, the most intense love a person can experience. And I was that receptacle. Hmm. And Christ was pouring that absolutely pure, unconditional love into me.
1: And you, at that time, you were, what, 10 minutes or so underwater, and then another 15 after that? So right. So was it when you were underwater when He took you through a life yes. review?
2: I was still being held underwater, and, and it was a, a strange sensation because I was still aware of the physicality of it. I could feel the water, the current, the boat, the pressure of the water. But I also was experiencing this life review with Christ, and it's as though, uh, as you mentioned earlier, my life was laid bare but not in any sense of judgment, it was just there. And one of the things we did was go through each event in my life that I would have otherwise said was terrible, horrible, bad, sad, whatever. And then I had this incredible opportunity of seeing how that event impacted and changed me, my little world, the world as a whole, not from a vantage point of three or four times removed, but 25, 30, 35 times removed. And what it showed me again and again and again is the reality of God's promise that beauty comes from all things. Mm -hmm. And that was, in and of itself, life-changing. Because it allows me or or anyone, because I believe anyone can have that, that experience, to absolutely transcend circumstance. Because even the, in the midst of something that you would say is terrible, you can have this absolute gratitude that it's changing you or the world in beautiful ways.
1: Mm. So what happened after, after that? When
2: so then the, the current sort of sucked my body over the front deck of the boat and I could feel my legs breaking and all sorts of things and I still felt great. That <laughs> <laughs> didn't and, sound uh, great. <laughs> I, I sort of thought, my little thought balloon off to the side was wondering if I was screaming, but I really was and I kept doing little self-assessment exams. But as that happened, my spirit peeled away from my body and then I rose up and out of the river and I was immediately greeted by a group of somethings people, spirits, beings, I'm never really quite sure what word to use. But they were people I had known and loved as long as I've existed. And they were there to welcome me and greet me and love me with, again, this pure love. They were uh, brilliant and radiant, but uh, in the sense of exploding with a visible love, a palpable love. And
1: I mean, it was like, was it like real people? And
2: well, they they had heads and arms and legs and were wearing these uh, robes of sorts that were uh, somewhat translucent, but um, which is indistinct. fascinating.
1: We're going to we're going to talk more right. about why the robes uh, later, because I thought I don't want to wear a robe forever, <laughs> but there's there's a, there's an interesting reason anyway. <laughs>
2: they were somewhat indistinct and at the time I was able to be with them and also look back and see them pull my body to the shore and start resuscitation and and I was really surprised I as a physician have been around death many times in my training my practice but I never really thought about death as it related to me Mm -hmm. I mean that was somewhat of an abstract concept and I was really surprised by the fact that first of all As I looked back at my body, I recognized that it was me, it represented my life here, and and I was not, I had a great life, I have a great life. I was not trying to escape anything, but I looked at that and I knew that I had absolutely no intention of returning, Mm. because I was overcome with an absolute feeling of being home, of being where I really belonged, where we all really belong. Mm.
1: And so you're, in between, you're, you're, kind of, you're seeing the physical earth and your body being resuscitated in this welcoming committee and, and then you're going somewhere.
2: We and started down this most exceptionally beautiful path uh, toward this great dome structure of sorts and uh, I believe that God shows each one of us the vision that will speak to us and really move us and what really moves me is color and flowers and the aroma of flowers. And that is what I experienced. This path-
1: You saw flowers. Was,
2: I saw them, felt them, understood them, experienced them. It was all of those senses, uh, times a thousand, but even beyond what we experience here. And, and the colors were, um, every color of the rainbow and beyond, all at the same time. I mean, it, it was this, uh, going back to a day is like a thousand years. It, it was as though I could experience everything simultaneously, which doesn't really make sense. Hard but to
1: explain. Yeah. It's
2: impossible.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you said you didn't want to come back, but then did obviously. I got kicked out. <laughs> you, you, you got
2: kicked out. <laughs> I did. <laughs> uh, I finally did make it to this threshold uh, and was there for what felt like many, many hours. And while I was there, uh, the entire experience, of course, was profound, but while I was there, I had this remarkable experience of understanding, of understanding the divine nature. Of the world or the divine order of the world and how it all works and one of the things that was so profound for me Because as I said, I'm very pragmatic and there are billions of us on the planet But I came to this understanding of how can be true that there first of all really is a God (laughs) Mm. but there really is a God that knows each and every one of us as though we're the only ones and Others loves, have said that
1: same thing. Yeah, and
2: loves each and every one of us as though we're the only ones and has a plan for each and every one of us that's one of hope. Mm. And that's pretty remarkable when it's so difficult for us to, you know, you look at how many people are in here. Huh? There are all kinds of people you don't know. And it's even more difficult to love other people. But to realize the truth of that mm. was very profound. And so I wasn't planning on coming back. And when I was told I had to had to leave. Uh, I, of course, argued the point a little bit.
1: <laughs> I said, so you can argue. Good. You still have a will. I you said, still have... Yeah, I, yeah, I mean,
2: I was still me in, in many senses. Uh, and I said, yeah, I'm good. I can stay. And uh, I'm a doctor, not a lawyer. I, I, lost, <laughs> I lost that argument. Uh, <laughs> But That's when I I was sort of given this mandate and I was told about my son's coming death and some of the other things and Then I was taken back down this path and reunited with my body
1: well, and I mean We we went to dinner last night and I peppered her with so many questions. My wife was, my daughter. And the good news is, even though we don't have a couple hours right now, we're going to videotape more of her story and we'll be showing clips in the weeks to come and and have more of that available. Um, But let's thank Dr. Mary Neal for being here with us.
0: So there you go. Very very interesting story. And what's our purpose um, in this, and what's our purpose for today? You guys, my, my hope is that every single one of us, first of all, is that if we don't believe that there is anything after this life, that you be intrigued enough to investigate this for yourself. I, I, it really is absolutely critical that you come to conclusion what you believe about what's gonna happen after this. And then for those of us who do believe this, I think it isn't motivating us. We apparently don't see it clearly enough. We can't fix our eyes on that unseen enough so that we don't lose heart, so that we're, that we're living for that world and not this one, that we don't really know that yet. And I'm hoping this stuff will inspire us. So in the weeks to come, next week we're gonna be looking at relationships, right? She said that. Amelia, these were people I knew. It's interesting, Jesus said in Luke 16, nine, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus said this kind of welcome thing's gonna happen. And then we're gonna look at our body, we're gonna look more specifically about how much more glorious heaven is than earth. In all ways, in all of creation, both that we see and what we experience in our own bodies. And then we're gonna look at this being that every person runs into of perfect light. This love that they feel that they can't even describe and who that is in Jesus Christ. This life review, what does that mean? That we're gonna stand, this was the one that amazed me, you're gonna stand in the presence of God and you're gonna look at everything you've ever done. Now come on, does that not freak anybody else out? <laughs> and every person says, with no judgment in first corinthians 4 the bible says therefore judge nothing before the appointed time wait until the lord comes he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and he will expose the motives of the heart and at that time each will receive their praise from god so there'll be a review of our life down here that's motivating me about how i live right now and then we're going to look at what is the ticket to heaven are there people who won't be in heaven? What does it mean to live in the kingdom of God? This is crucial stuff. So thanks so much for joining us. I hope you will for the next five weeks as we decide what's true about this life after this one. So we're gonna close with one final song. Our rusher is gonna come forward. We're gonna take our offering at this time. Hey, again, if you're visiting, thank you. We're just glad that you're here as our guest. But I'm telling you guys, for those of us who are followers of Christ, This is why, why do we give back financially to him? This is where Jesus said, right? Don't put your treasure down here. (laughs) You gotta store up your treasure in heaven. That somehow when we financially give back to God, his portion, which is his in the first place, he takes it and it actually produces eternal results. And someday we're gonna be so glad that we didn't invest every dime he gave us just on this planet, but we invested it eternally, okay? So let's go ahead and, readers go ahead and begin to take our, our offering as we do that. By the way, if you, we know that in our culture today, hardly any of us carry cash. And, and so there are um, kiosks out in the lobby and stuff if you'd rather give that way. You can always give right on our phone. If you have a, the K2 app, you can do that as well or sign up for online. It, it's, it's so much easier that way because we know not everybody does it just by carrying cash anymore. All right, we're gonna close with a final song and here's what I want you to do today. I just would love for you, when I heard this song, I love this song, and I would just encourage you, would you just take the last few minutes before you leave today and reflect on what you've heard. Listen to this verse. Hebrews chapter 11 is, is called the Hall of Faith. It's all these people who lived so recklessly for God. And then it says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. What did they know? They knew this isn't our home. I'm a foreigner here. I'm like visiting. I'm a pilgrim. I'm actually just here for a short journey. And then I eventually go home. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have already had opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them, and he has prepared a city for you, and it's his dwelling, and someday you'll get to be with him. Let's reflect on that together.